Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast. It is April 4th. It's snowing outside in my local area. It's April. I'm watching baseball, and it's snowing outside. Uh, I hate it. I really, truly hate it. Uh, we're getting It's Masters weekend as well, uh, and it's snowing outside for us. It doesn't feel like it's spring for any other person, uh, any people living here in the Sheridan area, unfortunately. It feels still like... Uh, it's winter, but hopefully the weather's going to clear up here pretty soon and hopefully it gets a little bit warmer. And this is going to actually start spring, feeling like spring. That's that's the that's the goal here. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you to uh, Jack and Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate for sponsoring the program. Make sure you check them out for all your real estate needs. We got some spicy topics to talk about here today uh, around the world of sports. Nothing. I mean, I don't want to say nothing major. Obviously, there's a couple national championships that were going on, but uh, not really anything that was uh, completely groundbreaking. We had a lot of, I would say, drama, some drama stuff happening over this weekend because of the Women's College Basketball Championship. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, we had a new NBA CBA. Uh, I kind of want to get more of the deep, the the details on that before I talk about that too much, uh, but it is important to understand that it is uh, very, it is going to affect the way that the offseason works in, in professional basketball, uh, how the games are played in professional basketball. We're going to see a lot more stars and stuff like that uh, playing throughout the season in professional basketball because they put uh, uh, game limits on how many games you have to play in order to be allowed to win certain awards and stuff like that. So that's going to be cool. They put in an, an in-season tournament that's going to be happening here pretty soon uh, after the new CBA kicks in. I don't remember the exact date of when it kicks in. I think it's after this year because I think they were going to go into lockout if they hadn't agreed on a new collective bargaining agreement. I have to read all of it up, though, so I, I didn't want to come in too unprepared uh, for that discussion. So we'll talk about the CBA, the new collective bargaining. I know there's nothing more riveting than talking about the details of a collective bargaining agreement, uh, but it is important if you're an NBA fan. You watch the basketball games, uh, the way that they're developing collective bargaining agreements with the in the the different things that are in there is are gonna it is going to affect the way we watch basketball and the way the season plays out in basketball. And it goes that goes for every single sport. I mean, if you have a collective bargaining agreement uh in place during I mean, they have to have one in place, obviously, or they wouldn't be playing, but uh it, it's every single sport uh they have one in, they have an individual collective bargaining agreement. And because of that collective bargaining agreement, that is how we're watching the sport. That is uh, how players are getting paid, uh, you know, and so on and so forth. How the the pie is sliced, if you will, uh, and kind of how the outlook actually looks for the rest of the season. So it is important, even though it doesn't sound very interesting. There are some interesting tidbits and nuggets that you'll read uh, through a collective bargaining agreement that you'll find uh, probably interesting just because you see um, certain things on the schedule that are going to be coming up uh, for the NBA. That should be pretty cool. Like the in-season tournament, uh, I think they're going to be doing it around like the all-star break and it's going to be a one game elimination in-season tournament. Kind of, uh, kind of interesting there. Similar to how, um, how minor league baseball teams do tournaments. They have like a midway season all or a, a halfway through the season playoffs, essentially that they do because uh, during the season, minor league players uh, get called up so frequently, especially towards the end of the year, because you get to expand uh, your rosters in the MLB the later you get into the season as you approach playoff time. Uh, and because those rosters are changing so much, they basically said we're going to put two uh, two different playoffs happening, one in the middle of the season for the guys that have been there since the beginning and who will probably get called up, and then one towards the end of the season for the guys that uh, that were there um, that didn't get called up to 
the major league. So some it's kind of be similar to that. Obviously not going to be as important as winning the finals, but uh, maybe a little something more interesting than, I don't know if it's going to replace the all-star game or anything like that, but I kind of hope it does. I think this is going to be much more entertaining, but I also am curious to see how they handle that with um, off time and that sort of thing. And that's all stuff that's probably in the collective bargaining agreement. I'll have to read through it and then, and then I'll update you. I'll tell you what I find. I'll tell you all the deets uh, that I see in there that I, uh, that I get to, that I get to read through more or less. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm not a lawyer, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to comb through every piece of information, but I'll read, uh, I'll read a little bit here and there and discover what's new, what's coming to the NBA here pretty soon, coming next year, the year after something like that. Uh, and yeah, that, that's, that's what's coming up. Uh, but not today. Today, we're going to talk about some other stuff. Let's start with the women's college basketball basketball championship, women's NCAA college basketball championship. Um, wow, there was a weird reaction to what happened over the weekend in this. By the way, props to the uh, NCAA for putting... Honestly, I prefer the way they scheduled this game. They put it like mid-afternoon on a Sunday. I wish it was a... I mean, they clearly show what's more important, especially the broadcasters, uh, what's more important to them, obviously, uh, putting the, the men's college national national championship on a 7 PM on a, on a Saturday night or whatever, versus the women's college basketball national championship on a mid afternoon and a Sunday, you know, maybe playing a little bit of favoritism there, but I actually like this a little bit more because it is, I mean, Sunday for the most part, it's not like there's a lot going on in the middle of a Sunday in April, other than maybe some baseball, some mid afternoon baseball, but I mean, it's April baseball. It's not like it, there's, it's going to matter as much as this game did. Uh, and I, I actually wish that the men's game would do something similar, similar to this uh, for uh, for their national championship as well. I think it's just way better planned out. You're going to have more to me. You're going to have more eyes on that on that game in a mid afternoon on a Sunday uh, than you are for the poor fans in Connecticut that were watching the men's game that started at 920 their time. Like how many can UConn fans actually stayed up? After, you know, 1130 on a Monday night to watch their team win the national championship. I don't know. It just seems weird. They're really trying to they try so hard to kind of push towards the West Coast to try try to make it so the West Coast is West Coast is watching as well. But if that's the case, just play it on a Saturday, play it on a Sunday or whatever. So you don't have to worry about the time as much or play it on an afternoon on a Sunday or a Saturday. So you don't have to worry about the time as much. And then you could start it at 330. I mean, I don't know why. Why do they make it that complicated? And and it's just the 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 um the college basketball game either. Uh, the college football has that same problem where they they play the national championship on like a Monday or Tuesday at eight o'clock, which nothing rings college football more. Really reminds me of college football more than a Tuesday evening watching college football on a Tuesday evening. It just doesn't make any sense to me. I thought the scheduling has always been weird for this, but for whatever reason. Women's college basketball seems to have figured it out. Play it on a, a 2 p.m. on a Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon. And uh, to me, it just makes it just makes a way more sense to this uh, to to have that game played then um, rather than um, when we got it for the men's game. It was just I don't know. I feel bad for the people that are actually watching that game, especially on the East Coast for UConn, who were the champions in that game, having to stay up till 930 uh, before the game actually starts before the game starts. And then you get to watch your team. If not, watch your team. I mean, let's be honest. UConn, I'll be honest with you. This is going to sound weird. UConn, uh, I don't know if there's a better, a bigger fan base that reminds me of old people more than UConn. I don't know why that is. I just have a weird connection with University of Connecticut 
elderly people. And that's probably not fair. That's absolutely not fair. And I'm, you know, I'm just, I don't know. I'm putting two and two together for no reason whatsoever. But I think UConn, elderly people, East Coast, 920, they're not staying up that late. Okay. No offense to the old people. You know what? No offense. Okay. Honestly, if I slept and got up as early as you, I would probably be a better person. I'd probably feel a lot better than I do on Mondays when I have to wake up in the morning and I hate every second of it. Okay. If I was getting up as consistently early as you were, I would probably love it a lot more. Uh, but yeah, it was just a, it's a weird scheduling thing and they're trying to connect with the West coast and it never makes any sense to me to have it on a Monday to start at nine 30. I just, that's sh- there, there's an easy solution to that, right? Where they just play it over the weekend, but I, I don't know. It's just, what are you going to do? But the real reason we're all here is the drama that came from the, the, I mean, it's a weird drama too. Let me be honest. I mean, it's just like an odd kind of uncomfortable drama that came out of this game. Uh, Caitlin Clark and Angel Reese, uh, both two of the very two of some of the best players in women's college basketball. Uh, Angel Reese, who is the player for LSU was kind of, you know, trash talking Caitlin Clark a little bit as she was about to win the national championship. They were, up. They were in command for a large part of this game. Uh, they won 102 to 85. Uh, the Iowa Hawkeyes made a little bit of a run in the third quarter when they, that was the only quarter they actually won in terms of points, uh, winning 22 to 16 in that quarter. But every other quarter, it was kind of complete domination from LSU. And, uh, you know, there were talk trash. Angel Reese was talking trash. And, you know, for the most part, I have literally no issue with this. But the reaction from a large proponent of, um, Twitter, the internet, I don't actually, I don't want to say a large proponent, uh, but the people that were the loudest in the room, even though they were like in the minority, the, 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 the loud minority, I guess, uh, was very, very confusing. Uh, we had Keith Olderman, <laughs> it's Keith Olberman, but I changed it to older man, you know what I mean? Cause he, he, he sounds like an old man yelling at a cloud. Uh, he got mad. He, he didn't, I don't think, I don't know if he watched a single minute of the actual game. Uh, but once the clips came out of Angel Reese, you know, doing the you can't see me face, showing the ring, you know, all all stuff that that Caitlin Clark was doing, not the ring part, but the you can't see me stuff. She was doing that, too. She was trash talking throughout the entire tournament. And this is I'm not putting anything against Caitlin Clark whatsoever. I'm just saying that they were they were on equal grounds here. Angel Reese was not doing anything, anything, any different than what Caitlin Clark was doing. And um, and I have no disdain towards either of them because of it, because it's trash talking and it's sports. This is what happens in sports in every single sport. If we could hear some of the stuff that people were saying uh, in, in a football game or any other women's college basketball game, we would probably be appalled at some of the stuff that they were saying to one another. We get these mic'd up moments during like NBA games or even NFL games. We get the mic'd up moments and it's still not even, it doesn't feel because a lot of that is edited down obviously. And it still doesn't feel like the, it never feels like the actual thing that we're getting the actual product that we're getting on either the court or, or, or the football field or whatever. Because, of course, they're going to edit it down. It just makes it seem like, oh, we're good friends playing basketball together. You know, hey, we're just playing some basketball. Hey, I, I like you very much. Let's just, oh, that was a tough foul there. That's not how it works, okay? That's just what they want you to make it sound like. That is not how any of that works. They're, they're, they respect each other, sure, but they are enemies on either side, on the floor, on the court, on the field, whatever it is. If they're playing one another, they are enemies. So there's going to be trash talking in that scenario. It is not that serious. It is not that big of a deal. Keith Olderman, uh, he was watching the game, quote unquote, or saw a clip of the game, whatever. Uh, and he said, quote, on Twitter, uh, after he saw a clip of Angel Reese doing the you can't see me thing to uh, to Caitlin Clark, uh, he 
put, quote, what an effing idiot. Uh, the effing was the actual word that I cannot say on this podcast because we are a family-friendly podcast. Uh, but he put that uh, in on his a posted that tweet for whatever reason. I don't know if he never saw uh, Caitlin Clark doing the same thing that he, she was that Angel Reese was doing uh, in an earlier game. Caitlin Clark is a, a fantastic trash talker. She makes it very apparent that she loves she likes to, um, you know, not disrespect, but uh, but tra- trash talk. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, he says he criticized, criticized both Caitlin Clark and Angel Reese. But why? Like, I don't understand the game that Keith Olderman I'm going to keep calling him that. I'm actually just going to keep calling him that because that's going to be snack. I mean, I know his name is Keith Olbermann, but Olderman just sounds better. Um, I don't understand why he was angry about or criticizing either of them. I I don't understand the product that he wants to see on the court at any point. I I don't get it. Does he want like, so here, here's what I'll say. This this is what I'll equate it to. Does he want, if you haven't seen this movie, um, Please see it. It's actually a very good alien movie. Uh, but there's one scene in this movie that I always kind of trip up on and makes me laugh uh, because it's just even though they shot it for this reason and for this purpose to make it seem like because it's a period piece. It's called The Vast of Night. It's an alien movie. It's just kind of an homage to older alien movies and abduction, you know, alien abduction movies, that whole thing in the 1950s and stuff like that. Uh, and there's a scene in there where a they kind of cut the camera through and it's kind of like. Uh, panning backwards through a high school gymnasium during a basketball game, essentially. And it's the 1950s and the game, if you can, you can watch the game. It's not for a very long clip. It's like 25 seconds or something like that as it's panning backwards through the gymnasium. And it's just the worst clip of basketball you could ever imagine. I mean, just, just garbage being played. No offense to the people that are playing. I mean, that's, I'm sure that's the direction that was given to them. No, you know, dribble, no dribble moves, nothing like that. No crazy pick and roll dribble handoff moves, anything like that. We want it to look like 1950s high school basketball. And is that what Keith Olderman wants? Like, is that what he wants on the floor? If you haven't seen the clip, go watch the movie one, because it's a good movie. And two, just for that clip's reason, because that's what I think Keith Olderman would like to see on the court. Like he wants the basketball to go all the way back to like 1950s high school basketball, where the only way they scored was some guy got open on a weird cut and then got up and then just laid it up like it was nothing. And then that's what happens back and forth for the next two hours. That's, that's his form of good basketball, even though the product has gotten instrumentally better uh, than back then, obviously. And even for the girls game, the girls game is, it, the girls game has been incredible. The, the strides that they have made uh, in the girls game, just both in broadcasting uh, and how, how much better I would say from the beginning to now the girls have gotten and how much more prevalent they've become in the girls game in general has been, uh, has been a great step forward. And to see Keith Olbermann criticizing the women, uh, Caitlin Clark and Angel Reese for trash talking, even though it seems like it's okay for literally any other sport, uh, especially male dominated that to be okay. Seems a little weird from Keith, from Keith Olderman. Um, I, it's just, to me, it's more fun for the actual game of basketball to see these two trash talking one another. Now it's setting up a, a great situation. If Angel Reese stays, uh, I believe Caitlin Clark has already stated that she is going to be coming back for Iowa. Uh, and I mean, if you're Caitlin Clark, I don't know why you would leave with the amount of NIL money you're probably going to make. It's going to be more than what you're going to make in the WNBA more than likely. So I don't know why you wouldn't stay another year. And it's setting up a a, a fantastic second act for these two, these two fantastic players to go and play again against one another during the regular season. The NCAA, they are probably licking their chops right now 
thinking of all the scheduling opportunities they could put together to try to put LSU and Iowa against one another again during the regular season. And people are going to watch in droves because of this. Uh, if anything, Keith Olderman uh, and all the other people that were for some reason getting angry uh, about this game and how, you know, the, the, the trash talking from Angel Reese uh, and everything like that, they're probably uh, they, they probably helped this situation. Or they probably helped the NCAA by being like, OK, you created a rivalry. You just created a rivalry in the trash talk or the overreaction to the trash talk. Uh, and I am here for it. I'm all here for it. I cannot be. I want to see that game. I can't. I would be stunned if the NCAA did not schedule some sort of game between these two at some point during the regular season next year. Um, that is if Angel Reese and Caitlin Clark come back. And I believe I, I'm sure that both of those guys are both of those excuse me both of those ladies are going to be coming back um so we'll see there there are plenty of other people i was kicking on uh, i was picking on keith olderman because he has a funny name keith olderman keith olderman keith olderman you know easy joke to be made there uh and everybody else was kind of you know cracking down on him as well it was just a it was a really bad take i didn't understand it uh it's weird that trash talk for whatever reason goes goes by completely okay in any other male sport for the most part uh but for one second when Angel Reese comes on uh, onto the court uh, in the women's national championship game in basketball, uh, she does the same trash talk that Caitlin Clark was doing. And then all of a sudden we're up in arms. Like, what are we doing? I don't understand that. I that will never make sense to me. Aaron Donald putting his finger in the air after sacking Joe Burrow and throwing him to the ground in the Super Bowl and then putting his finger up and showing the ring finger. That was one of the coolest moments in the Super Bowl uh, in recent memory. And now all of a sudden, if Angel Reese is doing it, uh, we got a problem with it. Uh, hold on a second. That's not okay. Like, come on. What, that's so dumb. What are we doing here? Uh, there's also, I think, a decent argument to be made about the um, racial differences in in this because we saw Caitlin Clark doing it. Everybody was thinking when Caitlin. And it, again, I this is no. I, I put nothing against Caitlin Clark or anything like that. She obviously had no intention to make it in this light or anything like that. She was just trash talking like everybody else uh, during her game. And then when Angel Reese did it, everybody had an issue with it. So it's nothing against Caitlin Clark by any means. Um, it's just the fact that we had one person black and Angel Reese doing similar things to Caitlin Clark white, which when she was doing in the semifinal games, when she was winning uh, pretty handily in those games, creating massive upsets and stuff like that. But when Angel Reese does it, we have an issue. There is a racial ambiguity there that I think needs to be analyzed. And it's an important conversation to be had going forward. And especially with the fact that it's, uh, it's a woman, uh, there seems to be this weird connotation that if you're going to be a uh, basketball player or a female in any sort of sport, you have to act more "quote unquote" ladylike, and that's a weird contrast between uh, what the men in a lot of those sports have to uh, go through. Because it's more or less the exact opposite. You have to be the dog, you know, that sort of thing. The dogs, the dirty people that do the "quote unquote" dirty work, are seen as uh, you know, uh, "quote unquote" more or less heroes. I guess is what you want to say. The people that you want to look up to as somebody you want to model your game after. There's a guy in the NFL, former NFL player. Uh, who is now a, a personality on Fox. Uh, his name was Mark Schlereth, and his, his nickname was Stink because he'd literally crap and piss his pants on the field because he didn't want to have to go and use the bathroom. If that was a woman, would we have the same reaction? I don't know. That's a, an, an interesting question to have uh, and an interesting discussion to have because I think if there was a situation where that was happening, uh, then why not? We can call her Stink too. Let's do it. 
that's a weird that's a weird example but the, you get my point okay we're i'm just trying to understand the weird differences between the two and the fact that we keep trying to move the goalposts uh for the ladies it was it started with uh you know start dunking and then i'll watch the wnba they started dunking and we still didn't uh the people still did not want to watch the wnba uh because the dunks weren't cool enough or something like that so the goalposts are always moving and it seems like uh once we start getting trash talk uh in the wnba then we all want to take another step back and be like hey you know, play with some respect, even though Angel Reese has always, she's said that she has nothing but respect for Caitlin Clark and Caitlin Clark, vice versa for anybody that she has played. So uh, I just think it's a, it's a weird discussion we're having about this. Um, and the fact that it's overshadowing the actual game and really the actual tournament uh, is very disappointing. Um, and, uh, you know, I hope these two end up playing again against each other. It'd be very cool if they ended up playing on the same WNBA team. That would be cool. Uh, but I mean, that's way down the line. Uh, we'll see. And I hope they play again at some point, Iowa and LSU that would sell bonkers. That would be, that would get ratings. The, the, the national championship game already blew away the ratings for the, uh, prior women's college basketball national championships, just blew them way out of the water with some of the ratings that they got. Uh, and, uh, I hope it will only grow from here. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for a break to hear from one of our sponsors. That is right. A sponsor of the program. We have our first sponsor on this program in the history of the program, and it is Jack and Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate. Now, look, ladies and gentlemen, I get it. You got to navigate the real estate market. It is impossible. Everybody on House Hunters makes it look super easy. They just go into three different houses and they pick the house they want. Boom, bang, boom. Episode's over. They have a house. It's not that easy, ladies and gentlemen. And Jack and Kathleen Wood will be able to help you throughout that process. And even the people in House Hunters, they have a real estate agent. And these people, Jack Wood, Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate could be your House Hunter-esque real estate agents. So if you're looking to buy real estate, sell real estate in the Sheridan area, these are the two people you should call Jack at 307-763-1249 and Kathleen at 307-461-7203. So listeners, one of the only things I'll ask from you is to support the people that support the show. And that includes these two, Jack and Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate. Thank you very much for the sponsorship and make sure you contact them for all of your real estate needs at 307-763-1249 and 307-461-7203. Okay, moving on. It was MLB opening weekend. We had our first MLB weekend with all the new rules and stuff like that. Uh, and the shift is still kind of around. I, I think everybody was kind of expecting the shift to be completely gone. But now they just shifted to the point where they're they're still shifting but the like shortstop or the second baseman isn't crossing the other side of the bag, but they're still playing like right next to second base. So the shift isn't uh shift's not gone per se. It's just kind of mitigated a little bit, but there's still definitely shifts going on uh, around the league. Um, but I, and honestly, it wasn't that big of a deal in my opinion. Like uh, there were still some plays that were or some, uh, some base hits that were hitting, like being hit up the middle that would not have been hits a year ago or something like that. There were a couple of those and finding uh, a couple different holes uh, around the infield that would not have been there. If the shift would have been there. So maybe a good uh, middle ground, I guess, for a lot of the, the shift happy fans. And I, I mean, I don't know if there are any shift happy fans, but you know, you, you get what I'm saying. There's still a, a decent middle ground there that I think uh, is 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 forming. And I think it's a good thing. Uh, but the, the big one that I think was the biggest success, in my opinion, uh, was the pitch clock. I cannot 
cannot say how um, happy I am that the, I, I can't imagine going back to a place where the pitch clock wasn't a thing at this point. Um, Cleveland, I watched a game over the weekend where the Guardians beat the Mariners 2-1, to one, and the final time for that game, it was a late-night game. They were in Seattle, so it was late at night. Uh, it was like 9.30 on Friday, I think, or something like that, or Saturday. No, it would have been Friday, I think. Uh, the Guardians beat the Mariners 2-1, to one, and, the score, and the time in that game was two hours and three minutes. It was the greatest moment of my life. I got out of the baseball game in just two hours. And not that I dislike the game by any means, but usually those games that are two to one, I mean, they're pitchers duels. And for the most part, uh, you know, I, I can watch some good pitchers duels, but I don't want them to be too long. Obviously, if there's if it's a pitcher's duel, you should be in and out of that stadium in two hours. And look what they did. They did it perfectly. Two hours, three minutes. I can live with that. No problem. Anybody. I, I cannot. I just don't understand there again. It's a silent or not really a sign. It's a loud minority at this point. I think, I think a lot of people are okay with the pitch clock uh, just because of how fast it's making the game. And it's going to bring more people into the game. We talked about this beforehand during spring training. It feels like it's going to bring and make more people pay attention to the game of baseball because you're not asking people to sit through like the Red Sox Yankees games. This it's been a staple of Red Sox Yankees games. One of the biggest uh, one, of, one of the biggest rivalries in all of American sports is Red Sox-Yankees, but it's so hard to watch at times because it feels like those games are always three and a half to like four hours long. Pitching duels or not, they feel so, so much longer than other games. And you're going to ask people now to watch one of the biggest rivalry games in the country, uh, and it's just going to be over two hours, two and a half hours, something like that. It's such, It's so much more accessible for just regular people to come in and watch a game for two and a half hours, then leave and not be like, wow, that took way more, way too much time. I don't want to watch any baseball game ever again. And it's just going to be easier for people to do, to do that, come into a game, sit down, watch the Red Sox Yankees for two and a half hours, get out of there and be happy you did it because it was two and a half hours. You know, it wasn't the length of a, uh, a James Cameron movie and it's not as exciting for the most part for a lot of those people as a James Cameron movie. So uh, it, it, it's been nothing but good. I am so happy that they, they implemented the pitch clock. I think it's been a fantastic implementation. Uh, the bigger bases have been a fantastic implementation as well. Uh, really quickly on the pitch clock, actually through 50 total games, this was over the weekend. So 50 through the 50 total great games over the weekend, the average game time is down to two hours and 39 minutes. That's down 25 minutes from last year's nine inning average, which would have been what they're almost two hours, almost three hours, essentially a little over three hours. So, uh, it's been fantastic. I'm so excited that they brought the pitch. I cannot imagine. I can't, I just, I can't imagine going back to watching baseball now without the pitch clock. I think it's been the best thing that they've implemented rule wise in, in years. So uh, I'm happy they've done it. The bigger base rule has also been a great addition, I think. Uh, and it's crazy how, how, I mean, it, it wasn't a huge base change. They changed it. They changed the base size from 15 square inches to 18 square inches. And it's crazy how much that little amount has really affected the game in such a huge way. Uh, stolen bases are the biggest change right now in terms of uh, the actual game. Well, I mean, other than time, but I mean, the actual playing of the game, I would say uh, they're up 37 percent with an 84 percent success rate. There's been a ton of stolen bases throughout the league and just three square inches has changed uh, the way the game is played, at least for now, in the MLB. It's been crazy. That That's really how much uh, detail is needed. I mean, it, that's not a better representation of how how much something that 
uh, minuscule can really change the way the game is played and how effectively the game is played. Stolen bases are all over the place now in the MLB. And uh, just because of a change from 15 square inches to 18 square inches, we're seeing an 84% success rate, which is up 37% from last year, which is, that is, that is insane that just three square inches made that made that happen. Um, and it's cool. I, I like seeing more of the, the run game coming back into baseball. It felt like it really disappeared there, uh, especially this past season and the year before. Uh, there were not a lot of, you know, it felt like there were not a lot of the, you had, you had your premier base stealers up at the top, but there were really no middle guys that felt like they were really trying to steal bags as often. Uh, but now it feels like if you have a leadoff guy in on your team, uh, they're more than likely there to steal bases. And that's a good feeling. It felt like the run game was really disappearing. So I'm happy to see that coming back to the game. We're going to see more guys get into scoring position, which means more runs for the most part. Um, and I just think it's going to be, it's going to be better for the game and the batting average, the total batting average now is up from, is up to three Oh one from two ninety last season. This time, this is after one weekend, obviously. Um, so, you know, take that with a grain of salt. It's not going to be that big of a difference. I don't think from three Oh one to two ninety. that's like 20, 21 basis points. I don't think it's going to be that big. Uh, it's probably going to drop a little bit as the season goes on, but I do expect it to still be. Still be, I said, did I say 21 basis points? I meant 11. Excuse me, math, you know, you get it. I'm doing a podcast. I'm not a math guy. Uh, 11 basis points. Uh, and I don't think it's going to be that large as the season goes on. I think that's probably going to shrink a little bit. We saw a lot of offenses really cooking this weekend. Uh, and I think that's probably going to go down as we get into more of like the dog days of summer when uh, when some of the offenses start to die off a little bit because it's, you know, the dog days of summer. But we'll see. Who knows? Maybe that might go up. And then, you know, baseball's solved every issue they've ever had. Uh, but it was awesome. It was a great weekend for baseball. Uh, the weather was kind of crappy around a lot of the games, but... You know, it's April. What can you expect? It's snowing here in Sheridan. So, you know, what are you going to do? Uh, but yeah, baseball's here. It's here to stay. We got some undefeated teams still. I think the Twins are undefeated, if I remember correctly. Uh, I think the Rays are still undefeated, which Twins undefeated. I didn't have that. Uh, and then the Phillies are the only team that don't have a win, which may be a little surprising. Uh, not the best start for we're the old fills, uh, but I mean, they ran into a buzzsaw all of a sudden with the Rangers. The Rangers look like they're going to put up some runs this year. They were they were swinging and slinging them across uh, against the Phillies, and uh, they had another big breakout game uh, just yesterday on Monday as well. So who know? I mean, you know what? Who knows? Especially with all the new rules, who knows who's going to be good anymore in this game? Uh, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. The Rockies too. All of a sudden, I mean, I think, I think they were in first place after like the first two games of the season. Wowza! Uh, here come the Rock. I'm just kidding. Uh, that was a joke. Uh, they're not going to be. Not going to be that good, in my opinion. But, I mean, C.J. Crone looks like he's going to push for possibly the NL home run title. I wouldn't be surprised by that. And C.J. Crone looks like he's got it cooking right now. Uh, he's smoking the ball at the moment. And uh, I would not be surprised to see him push for the NL title, the NL uh, home run title. That would be cool to see. And he's in the ballpark to do it, obviously, in 82, 81 games out of the year. So that would be cool to see if C.J. Crone becomes the... Uh, the, the home run leader for the national league. That wouldn't be a terror. I would not be surprised to see that at all because he, he really looks comfortable when he's up there hitting right now. And another one who's been pretty good so far. I don't want to say I called it. Okay. I mean, it is early. I I'm going to pat my bat at my back just a tad, to be honest with you. Uh, but I, I don't want to call it yet. I don't want to say he's completely back, but Joey Gallo, he's looked pretty good as well. He's hitting 308 right now. He has three home runs on the season. I think he's got three home runs in the last three games. Uh, 357 on base percentage. He's slugging a one one point zero seven seven. He's looked pretty good. Uh, and I said in in the uh, the preview more, I guess the preview uh, of the season with the shift going away, I thought Joey Gallo would maybe relax a little bit more going away, quote unquote. 
Uh, but he's going to see more holes that are available to him. He's going to be able to hit the ball in places that he never thought he would, that would get base hits. Those are only going to bring confidence to him. And I think right now he's kind of seeing that play out um, as we see it right now. He does have four strikeouts, but that's, I mean, you're going to get that from Joey Gallo because that's what he does. He's like home run walk or strikeout. He's very much the, uh, the, the three, what was the, what's the, what's the phrase? The, the three outcomes, very much a hitter of the three outcomes era. Um, but We'll see. I hope he keeps it going because to see, I mean, Joey Gallo was really kind of a mess when he was with like the Yankees and then we went to the Dodgers. It was all kind of a, it was all kind of a mess after that. And I hope he kind of find himself to get more comfortable again because he seems like a cool dude and uh, just, you know, that he, he went through some struggles obviously in New York and it's hard not to uh, in New York and LA. Um, and now with Minnesota, a team that's, you know, very much. Uh, a much more low key uh, team than, than in New York, obviously I think he might be able to find himself a little bit more and uh, play better. And I hope that, I hope that becomes fact. We'll see what happens though. Uh, and I just want to, I just want it to happen because I want to be right. Obviously. Why else would I be here? Uh, but we'll see baseball's back. I'm excited. Uh, I, I hope here in Sheridan, it starts to turn out more like baseball weather, uh, but we'll see. Uh, you know, who knows? We might get snow in June at this point. I have no idea. All right, moving on. Moving on from baseball, we had the Australian Grand Prix this weekend in Formula One. And if you didn't watch it, which fair enough, it was very late at night on a Saturday. It started at 11 p.m. our time. So if you weren't up for the UConn game, I'm going to assume you were probably not up for uh, Formula One Australian Grand Prix on Saturday, 11 p.m. Fair enough. I'm not going to judge you for that. The late start, you know, they're all over the world. Most of the time, it's going to be like a 6 a.m. start, a 7 a.m. start our time. So for this to be an 11 p.m., I was I was like, oh, especially on a Saturday, uh, I was happy. I was like, oh, I can I can stay up, watch this whole thing, no problem. Uh, but for like the 6 a.m., 7 a.m. starts on a Sunday, those are going to be tough for me. I, I can't do that. Uh, but let's recap the Australian Grand Prix. We're going to be quick about it. Like We're going to be super fast like an F1 car. <laughs> you, see, you see the connection? All right, let's start. Max Verstappen, he started on pole and loses the position after turn one to George Russell, who allowed Lewis Hamilton and Fernando Alonso to close in through turn two. However, heading into turn three, Charles Leclerc, once again, Ferrari doing their dang thing where they just love to fail. They love to fail. He gets spun into the gravel from sixth place, leading to Leclerc having to retire from the race and a safety car period when the race resumed in lap four. It was the two Mercedes in front with Verstappen right behind both of them. But as the race was starting to get going again, Alex Albon spun out into the gravel and off the wall, sending gravel all over the place, which led to a red flag. He looked like a Lego car that just explodes, you know, uh, when you throw a Lego against a wall. It wasn't his car. The gravel more looked like that. He was fine. Uh, but it would hit the wall. It was like, you know, like a like a piece of Lego or Lego contraption he put together and you throw it against the wall. Boom, explodes everywhere. That's what Alex Albon's car looked like, except it was the gravel, not really him. He was fine. Uh, he got up and walked off across the st- uh, across the track. No problems. But lead flag, uh, lead flag, red flag. It suspended the race, putting the drivers back into the pit lane with a full restart coming. Uh, before the red flag, though, George Russell pitted to change tires during the safety car that took place after Leclerc spun out, thinking he did gain advantage on fresher tires. However, after Albon spun out with the red flag, causing everyone to pit, it basically caused whatever Russell's advantage had to be uh, had to be lost. He was in eighth place after coming out after the safety car, so he was expecting on fresher tires he's going to be able to catch up to the rest of the pack on fresher tires, kind of catch Verstappen, get into that podium situation. Now, red flag, everybody gets to change tires again, so he's now at an equilibrium with the rest of the cars on the track. He's in eighth place. That kind of screws him. So, at the standing restart, it was Hamilton in front, Verstappen in second, and Fernando Alonso in third, and it didn't take long for Verstappen's missile 
of a car to warm back up, get to speed. And when DRS was enabled on lap 12, he cruised right by Hamilton on the curve straight. And after that, Verstappen never looked back. By the end of that same lap, he held a two-second advantage over Hamilton and got all the way up to a 10-second lead. Uh, George Russell's engine, meanwhile, George Russian, George Russell's engine failed and was blowing fire out of, ex- out of its exhaust. It looked like a car from Mad Max, uh, forcing Russell to retire. 25 laps later, it was a complete carnage. Uh, it started with Kevin Magnuson. This is towards the end of the race now. We had 25 laps of nothing but good old racing. Verstappen basically, I mean, he was clearing away going to be the winner in this race. So we, I don't think we saw Verstappen after he gained like that four to five second lead uh, for the rest of the race. So 25 laps later, whoever Kevin Magnuson said, you know what? I'm going to make stuff interesting. I'm going to make some, I'm going to make an interesting decision here. Goes straight into the wall, which caused his back right wheel to detach and fly all over the track, forcing another red flag on lap 53. And he has to retire. The red flag erased Verstappen's massive lead to zero and gave just about everyone a chance to get onto the podium. So when the race restarted with just two laps to go, they restarted on lap 57. Uh, They all pushed into the first two corners, leaving without any, leaving any, without any regard for their fellow driver. Verstappen and Hamilton made a clean getaway in first and second. Behind those two, Carlos Sainz spun out Fernando Alonso, who was in third. They were both fighting for third place, which triggered further accidents, including the two Alpine cars to crashing into each other at the exit of turn two and Logan Sargent running into the back of Nick DeVries in the AlphaTauri, sending them both into the gravel. That caused another red flag, and it was all said and done. There were just eight cars left, or excuse me, there were just 12 cars left in the race. Eight of them had crashed out, and after about a 30-minute delay, the FIA decided to end the race on a safety car, and Verstappen basically just, you know, put it on cruise control, crossed the finish line in first place for his second win of the season, Red Bull's third win in the first three races of the season, uh, and Hamilton finished second for his first podium of the season, and Alonso finished third for his third podium of the season. It was a blast. It was some truly, some truly late night F1 shenanigans. Uh, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun to watch. It was a good race for the most part, uh, for Stappen other than, you know, and that's going to be the big problem with F1 this year is in, I say problem in quotes. Um, Cause there's always going to be fun battles throughout the rest of the grid. And, uh, you know, I don't think it's going to be too big of a problem if we're watching, if we're watching Hamilton and Alonzo and George Russell compete for second, third and fourth and that sort of thing for podiums, uh, every, every week. But, uh, first place, it feels like if Verstappen gets pole and there isn't a whole lot that changes about the race, um, then he's winning. I mean, he's just got the Red Bull car right now is built by, some sort of master physicist from the future because that thing is so much faster than everybody else on the track right now. Um, so it, it's going to be an issue if we see Verstappen. I mean, even Verstappen starting, you know, in 15th, like he did in, uh, in Saudi Arabia, I think he started in 15th and ended up in second and he nearly caught, uh, his first place, his partner who was in first place, uh, Checo Perez, who was also in a Red Bull, obviously, uh, and he almost caught him. And, you know, if he's starting from 15th place, having no issues cruising past the rest of the uh, the the rest of the grid, getting all the way up to second place and nearly passing his partner who for first place, then, you know, that that's kind of a sign of things to come. If Verstappen isn't crashed out, which obviously we're not rooting for that by any means, uh, but if Verstappen's not crashed out or has to retire his car or anything like that, then it's basically going to be Verstappen in first, I feel like, for the entire season. If he has a good car, uh, if his car's working properly with no issues, then he's going to blow by everybody. It doesn't matter really where he starts on the grid. Uh, even Checo, Checo Perez, who started in 20th in this race because of a uh, a Parca Ferme uh, regulation uh, violation, he had to change something in his car after 
qualifying, which is a, uh, as a rule, you cannot do that. You have to start at the back of the grid if you do that after qualifying. Uh, and even with that, he ended up in the points. I think he finished like sixth or seventh or something like that. So, and he was making a real push as well uh, towards the end of the race to try to get up towards the top five. Um, but the red flag kind of, especially at the end of the race, uh, put anything, everything into kind of a shambles. So um, that's kind of where F1 stands right now. I don't want to go in and say, um, it's not going to be a good season. I mean, there's plenty of interesting stuff that's going to happen throughout the season that I think is going to be fun to watch. Uh, Ferrari still just have no idea what they're doing, it seems like. And uh, every week it feels like they are just going to find some new way to be a disaster. Uh, and I, I would, <laughs> I think that's probably what's going to happen week in, week out, uh, unless proven otherwise. And that's, I don't want to say it's fun to watch, but it's like looking at a car accident, you know, no pun intended. You know, you can't really look away. That's a bad analogy because they are in actual cars, but you get what I'm saying. Like, a, it's a disaster, but you can't look away from it. That's kind of the situation that they're in in Ferrari right now. Um, Mercedes, George Russell, he's finally going to get past uh, Mercedes, or excuse me, uh, Lewis Hamilton. If that situation becomes, uh, I don't want to say toxic because it feels like Lewis Hamilton's got a pretty good thing going with George Russell. And I still feel like Lewis Hamilton's probably a little bit better than George Russell, but. Who are they going to have finish in front of one another? Who are they going to have leading the pack for, if you will, uh, for probably sectors second in the constructors championship. Uh, and then uh, as well as Aston Martin, those two battling for second and third in the constructors is going to be very interesting between Mercedes and, uh, and Aston Martin. I think that's a very interesting battle, especially with a guy like Fernando Alonso driving the other Aston Martin. And we know his rivalry with Lewis Hamilton. That's going to be very interesting to, to watch throughout the season. Can McLaren somehow figure it out? What what happens with Lando Norris if McLaren doesn't figure it out? I think there's a very interesting uh, a, situ a very interesting situation. Not to mention, actually, before I get ahead of myself, not to mention Lewis Hamilton. He's talked about retiring uh, in previous seasons, not too long. I think it was just last year he was talking about thinking about retirement. If he does retire, well, I mean, if you're Charles Leclerc, it's not like Ferrari's really doing a lot to keep you around. I'll put it that way. And Mercedes has always been a well-run team. Uh, go over to Toto Wolf, who is a very good team principal. I don't know how you would turn that down. I think that's a very uh, a very interesting situation to be in if you're Charles Leclerc. Uh, I Granted, I don't know the contract situation with him and Ferrari. Who knows? Uh, but if that seat does open up, uh, at Mercedes because Lewis Hamilton retires. I, I cannot imagine a situation in which uh, Mercedes does not try to target somebody like Charles Leclerc, because I mean, if you're Leclerc, why are you staying at Ferrari? Like they've done really nothing to try to keep, uh, to keep you there. Like they have not necessarily improved the situation as it stands right now. It still looks like it's going to be a disaster. You've gone two of the three races having to retire your car. Granted the third one or the, the second time wasn't necessarily the constructor's fault. The first time it was, but the car also didn't perform very well at Jeddah and then and then um, and then in Australia. I mean, uh, Charles Leclerc crashes out, and then there's the whole thing with Carlos Sainz at the end of the race where he gets a five second penalty, and then he loses out on points. Ferrari's just kind of a disaster right now, and I I really think if anybody from the top teams, especially Mercedes, which I think is probably the biggest uh, the biggest possibility for an opening, even Red Bull, if, the, if Red Bull starts getting, uh, dissuaded from like Checo Perez, even though he's coming off of a win, but still, uh, he's been, you know, kind of side-eyed, if you will, as maybe somebody that could be seeing his seat become open. I would not be surprised to see somebody like Charles Leclerc look at that as an opportunity because of how much better run those teams are compared to how much of a disaster Ferrari has been, uh, over the past year and a half, two years or so. So, uh, we'll see. I think it's very interesting. I just think the whole dynamic in Formula One is very interesting. A lot of these guys. And the other thing, 
about Formula One that I like a lot is these guys have, for the most part, a lot of these guys have very interesting personalities and they're fun to kind of pay attention to and fun to, it seems like, talk to, that sort of thing. Uh, they're fun interviews for the most part. They all have genuine personalities that are fun to kind of pay attention to. Uh, and that's what I like. I like that about, I like that about Formula One. Uh, I care uh, about the drivers because they seem like they have some sort of inkling of a personality, which is hard to find in a lot of sports, to be honest with you. Not a lot of them, you know, I think they all have a similar form of coach speak that uh, we can see in basically every sport. Uh, coach speak is a detriment, to, in my opinion, to a lot of interviews. If you watch any post-game press conference of any sport, you will find a lot of just bad interviews that don't really tell you anything or aren't interesting or just a cliche after cliche after cliche. And for the most part, you know, after races in formula one, I think you'll see a lot of the same stuff, but off, you know, off the conventional post game presser camera when they're just doing, you know, random stuff with, uh, as part of their team or something like that, their social media presence is always very good. Uh, but then also, off of, um, you know, as part of Formula One social media or something like that, they all seem like they have uh, budding personalities that are fun to kind of, uh, and, they're, and they're younger too, which is, you know, if you're trying to encapsulate a younger generation, you have to have younger people be a part of it. And a lot of these guys are pretty young. I think Max Verstappen, who's now a two-time world champion, uh, going on trying to become a three-time world champion is like my age. I think he's younger than me actually, which is mind-numbing I, I never I you know you look at people and you're like that's Max Verstappen world champion Formula One racer probably arguably one of the best racers of all time already just because of how consistent he's been over the last two years and if he can keep that going will be considered one of the greatest drivers of all time and he's my age like I look down at him and I'm like could I have done that that would have been cool if I could have done that I can't do that now and here I am I'm talking I'm talking about Max Verstappen on a podcast that he's almost certainly not listening to <laughs> And that's, you know, that's called self-reflection. And, you know, that's, that's the, the, uh, the common, the common, uh, the common situation you come up with in your head. Uh, so yeah, that's formula one, little formula one recap for Australia. They're going to take like a big old month break, uh, before they go to Baku, uh, and race in Azerbaijan. We'll see what happens there. Another street circuit. Uh, I like that race, very difficult track. Uh, and we'll see what happens. It's it's going to be fun. It's another month away. It's not going to be cold out or anything like that. Hopefully, I mean it's Azerbaijan, so it's not going to be cold. Um, but we'll see. I'm interested. I'm interested to see what happens. I'm hoping for a good race again, obviously. And that race does seem to uh, usually have some some interesting situations when it comes to uh, Baku and that track in general. So we'll see what happens. I'm excited. That, ladies and gentlemen. I believe is going to ramp up the show. I want to thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, remember to rate the show if you haven't already. Give us a, a cheeky little five stars. I'd appreciate that very much. Leave a rating at wherever you listen to these podcasts. Uh, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get them. Leave a rating. I'd greatly appreciate that. Share it with your buddies, your friends, everybody that matters to you. Please share the podcast with them. That'd be great. And I'd love for more people to be listening to this as well. Uh, and if not, just thank you very much for being here. I appreciate you guys listening to me ramble and ramble on and on and on. I appreciate it very much. Um, but for now, thank you very much for tuning in. I've been your host, James Timberlake, and this has been the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast.